0: Hello Utah and welcome to Fireside Chats with Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. My name is Emma Russell and I am the Events and Outreach Director. These Fireside Chats are short conversations with Utah's citizen diplomats who are reformulating the American worldview from one of despair to one of hope during a time of multiple crises. We hope that the embers of this conversation will light a fire in you and a spark of excitement for the future ahead. Today, I'm excited to introduce Kiki Sharma. She is a refugee from Bhutan who grew up in a refugee camp in Nepal. After resettlement in Utah, she became a restaurant owner and manager and with hopes of being a future accountant. Welcome Kiki. And I believe I definitely speak for all of us when I say how happy we are to have you join us today. How are you doing?
1: Thank you, Emma, I'm doing great. It's absolutely my honor to be here. I am excited and a little bit nervous. Um. No. <laughs> everybody actually coming in here makes me really happy and I am excited to share my story and if you have any questions I'd be happy to answer them. Great
0: so let's just start a little bit about your childhood. I would love to know more um, about your
1: experience growing up in Nepal. Um, so yeah uh, obviously everybody know knows now that I came here as a refugee so I um Talking about the family history, my parents were born in Bhutan. Uh, People said it's the happiest country in the world. And they were born there, but because of the religious war, they got kicked out of Bhutan, and they ended up being a refugee in Nepal. So that's where uh, I was born, and all of my siblings were born, in Nepal. My parents spent probably about 20-plus years in a refugee camp. Um, But then childhood there was the best childhood memory I have. Like, it's the best life I could ever ask for. Um, It was great. So we had a really good um, school. Our school was actually an English media school. We were taught in English, math, science. It was hard, harder than here, actually. Um, But because we never actually communicate in English, in a, in a classroom or outside, we always spoke Nepalese. So that's why we still have an accent. I still have an accent. Um, so, but writing-wise, reading-wise, uh, it was great. We all knew English a little bit before we came in here. Um, but what else? It was it was good. It was really great. You know how people a lot of people think of um, their refugee, their life must be really hard and difficult. And I think maybe that's true in other other places, other countries. But the place I came from was nothing like that. It was it was great. And there's no regret that I am actually so proud and and I'm great that I actually I was born in a refugee camp because I felt like if I wasn't that I would not be here today. So that's how I like to think.
0: Yeah. And what are some of the the stories that your family passed on? So how many generations of your family were in that refugee camp? Your parents were with you? And did you have other family members as well?
1: Yeah, a lot of families. uh, But my um, my father's side of his family, they're all in India. So they lived in India. Uh, So mostly my mother's side. But my parents still have a lot of families in Bhutan. Uh, They are Bhutanese. They live there, they grew up there, they're there. So they're like Bhutanese. But I do have a lot of families now. They're in a different state. They did come here as a refugee. Um, but we had a lot of families back then, yes.
0: And you I I remember when I first uh contacted you, you kind of described yourself as as American, but your culture is Nepali Hindu and you're from Bhutan. What is it when you came to America, what does it really how do you, does that identity really encompass who you are today? How do you make sure to carry those traditions and, and your family with
1: you? You know, that is an interesting question. I do have to sometimes fight with my father because he wants me to say I'm a Bhutanese and I say I'm a Nepalese because I I was born in Nepal and I, I grew up in a culture there and I speak Nepalese but I speak zero Bhutanese. I don't really know the culture there. You know, um, they have a whole different culture, even though like India, Nepal and Bhutan, we share this similar cultures and very similar food. And, you know, but then I don't speak their language. I hardly know anything about it, but I I grew up in Nepal. But I know the Nepalese culture versus, I know more about Indian culture because my grandparents lived in India. So we used to go and visit them often. Um, And I do speak Indian, a little bit of Hindi. And he said, "Well, you're not you're not Nepalese, but you're Bhutanese. So that's why I have to argue with him a lot. And it is interesting because I am also confused myself when people ask me. um, I'm confused if I should say I'm Bhutanese because I don't speak the language, or if I should I'm Nepalese. But my parents, but my grandparents are Indian, so I'm all mixed, and I'm now a citizen here. So, but I that's like you know I don't know it's." I, ha- I feel like when people ask me what your nationality? I feel like I have to just like start my conversation, like the whole conversation of where I came from and where I grew up and, you know, instead of just saying, oh, I'm Nepalese or Bhutanese. Yeah,
0: that's that's super, super interesting. Huh. So when, you're, when your family came here, were you guys resettled directly to Utah? Was this the mm-hmm. first state
1: you were resettled to? Yeah, we came here directly in Utah. A lot of people asked me, why Utah? And I was, I think I was really young enough not to make a decision. Um, And I did ask my father, why Utah? He said somebody, uh, one of his cousins from actually Bhutan came here happened to be in the United States uh, for a school or job or whatever the reason was. And then he visited a couple of states uh, and then he really liked the Utah so much. And then he told my father that you guys should go to Utah. And I think maybe the reason why is probably the mountains we have a really good mountains in Bhutan and in Nepal, like big mountains. So I wanna say maybe when he came here, he felt like he was in in a home because of the mountains and the environment here. And he said people are really nice. And yeah, you know, we have a really good community here. People are nice and we really like the mountains. So we're we're used to it now. You yeah, know, we don't wanna move, we just wanna stay in Utah.
0: No, that's awesome. And I actually heard that that sentiment before about how the mountains are just kind of this comfort. It's a similar geography and you kind of just like feel that at home um, aspect to it. So that's, that's interesting to hear as well. Can you tell us more about what what's the Bhutanese or Nepalese um, culture and community in Utah? Is there a pretty large like group of you guys who are like, do you guys have cultural centers? How do you guys kind of stick together?
1: Yeah, we we had a lot of Bhutanese community here, a really big community here, but for some reason they're all moving to East Coast. Uh, I think some families moved, and then they started, you know, following their families and their neighbors. Oh, something that I wanted to mention is um, in Nepal, our neighbors were our family. Like everybody knew everybody. You know, we'd be sharing food, it's just anything. They're like family, and it's kind of it kind of felt weird here because you don't really know what's who's next door. You know, you don't really communicate. You don't know who's your neighbors. Um, so that part, I still I've been living here for 10 years and I still feel a little weird. And I really miss that part. You know, having our neighbors as a family, like sharing food and sharing everything else. Um, but anyway, so I think people started following their neighbors and people they know were, you know, their the family friends. So most of the people uh, already moved to Ohio or Pennsylvania, like more of the East Coast. Um, so right now, we don't have a used uh, Bhutanese community right now, but we do have, you know, maybe fair enough for us to go and chat here and there. Um, and we do have a Nepalese community here too, yes.
0: Oh, no, that's great. So I think that that leads us pretty well into discussing your restaurant. So you're the manager and owner of Bhutan House Restaurant. Um, And so you guys have Indian, Nepalese, and Bhutanese cuisine, which it it all makes sense now why those are the three cuisines that you guys focus Uh on. Can you tell us just more about your restaurant, the kind of food you guys serve, and really
1: just the history of how you built the small business? Yes, absolutely. Um, So when we first started off the um, Spice Kitchen Incubator, My father, I think somebody, his friend used to work for a state. I don't know where, somewhere. And he found out about the Spice Kitchen and he came and told my father, hey, there is something that we can like make our food and let people know. He's like, okay, that's so cool. Let's go and try it. So he went there and took classes and he was like, this is so cool. We should really start cooking our food and then do caterings and books and, you know, whatever we need to do, let's do it. And so that's where my mother is a better cook than my father, or I guess before, before we actually had the restaurant. <laughs> okay. right? And it's a secret, I guess. <laughs> no secrets anymore. Um but my mom's a really good cook. She is the best cook. Um so and then yeah, we my my father took a lot of classes that that was, you know, requirement classes to actually be able to work in the kitchen and, and whatever we need to be doing. Um, so that's where we started off. And then we started off cooking in a spice kitchen, very small kitchen, a lot of people, um, they have a better kitchen now, way better. But I think we have the restaurant right now because my father, were, as a family, he has a really good family support. Like for us, family matters a lot. So we all live together. You know, we're five members in the family. We all live together, and we just actually brought a new house. So still working on that. But he had a really good support from the family. So when we work with the Spice Kitchen, we had a we did a you know the farmers market, a lot of farmers market. We did a refugee days, a lot of different events. So whenever we had the events, we would go probably about that overnight. A day a day ago, we would go all the family after work or after my school i was still in high school so when i'm done with the school or my mom, mom is done with the work so we would go and spend hours and hours cooking or preparing or you know um so that's why we kind of started doing that and as we were doing more of that people started asking if we already have the restaurant and they already really liked it our food so that kind of makes my father like, hey, people are liking our food. I think we should open open the restaurant. And it just sort of kind of happened. So, and then all of a sudden now, my dad started looking for locations and looking for a partnership because he's, he wasn't a chef that I would call a restaurant chef, even though we knew how to cook. But what we make at the restaurant right now was completely different than what we did with the spice kitchen back then. Um, so we all all of a sudden first we started looking for some chef who was willing to be a partnership with them with us, and we looked for uh, locations. We went to Idaho, um we went to Colorado, I think, but I know going to Idaho looking for you know locations because Utah already got a lot of Indian restaurants. So we didn't want any competitions or anything like that. So we wanted to serve our food to a community where they don't have Indian restaurants. You know, we wanted to share a new culture to them. We went there, we found the locations, but realized that the population was really small. Maybe after a week, we came back from Idaho. We already had figured out our locations, so all we gotta do was just sign the contract. But we came to Utah, find out this Indian, the, the location that we have it right now, used to be Indian restaurant before. He was just selling the restaurant, and with the really fairly pricing. So we were like, well, let's do it. It has a kitchen, a great location. It's always been an Indian restaurant, so let's do it. So that's why we did have a partnership. Not a lot of people know that. Um, he was a chef. He used to work at the Indian restaurant. Um, so we, yeah, we partnered with him and we started opening the restaurants, And but the partnership didn't last. It only lasted for two months. And then after two months, he decided to either quit or, either buy the whole thing off us and then so at that point it was a really hard decision for us to make because then my dad wasn't a chef then you know so he still had to learn so much and uh, we were just freaking out like where we're gonna find a chef to run the business I mean I can manage the outside part but who's gonna be a cooking inside there's no food no restaurants so that time we were just like hunting for an Indian chef it was so difficult. It was really hard. And we were just, we came home and then they wanted to know the decision, you know, right right off the bat. Like we didn't even, they didn't even give us a week. So we had to like, overnight, we didn't sleep. We started looking for a set. We started, it was a whole mess. So finally, I think it was, God is good. You know, I think it was just a luck that the same night, the same night, Um, well, tomorrow morning, we were supposed to tell him, who's going to own the business. You know, we already knew, uh, well, he's going to tell us for how much. We didn't even know at that point how much. But um, the overnight, this guy actually came, called my father, said, oh, I heard you're looking for a chef, and I'm actually available. It was a slight miracle, you know. And we sat down and we talked. They're like, okay, well, you know, why don't you just come in tomorrow? Like, next morning, we'll change the cake key, and we'll just take the restaurant. And that's kind of how it started off making our own business. And he went in the morning, the other partner called in and we said, we'll buy it. And he almost had a heart attack. But I think the reason why is that because the other person was a chef and my father wasn't a chef. So they just wanted to use us in a way to open the business. And then later on kind of kick us out because knowing that um, he's not a chef, there's no cook there, they're going to quit. But then I told my father, let's not give up because he really wanted to have a business. And I was still in high school. No, I, I Well, when we brought the restaurant, I think I just barely graduated high school. So I was still young, you know. Oh, but then my father trusted me. And because knowing that we have a really good family support, we're like, we can do this. Uh, at that point, he kind of knew how to do a buffet. So I told him we're going to start off doing a buffet, everyday buffet and no dinner, and then until we find the staff. But we did find the staff overnight. So that's kind of how I started the business. Um, Cool, right? I mean, I kind of think yeah, back, I'm like, awesome. wow, this is, you know, I never thought it would be, we would be here today.
0: Truly, um, yeah, it's incredible, especially with your age. I mean... Oh my gosh, coming out of high school, could I have rec- given business recommendations to my father? Absolutely not. Like, you should be incredibly proud of what you're doing right now. And I know COVID's probably putting weight on that, but like the success that you guys have already had and clearly the struggles that brought you to having your own business, like you were instrumental in making that successful. So, yeah, I could not have done the same. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Yeah, thank you. It was definitely hard though because I, within it's been about four years. Within the four years, I have learned so much lessons. You know, made a lot of mistakes, um, and then I have overcome those. So I'm really proud of all the mistakes that happened, but then I was able to fix it. Uh, some mistakes cost me a little bit of amount, um, uh, but people say it was a cheap amount for a restaurant business, even though it was a lot of amount for us. But yeah, it's it's been um. Uh, great amazing journey you know I am really happy and proud um and we're really hoping that we can survive this pandemic and if not then there's going to be a new life new beginning um you know I think I believe that everything happens for a reason so yeah yeah, absolutely
0: so you mentioned that you are wanting to be a future accountant where did where did the interest for that come from you don't want to run a you don't want to be a chef or pursue that industry further
1: No, you know what? I mean, I could be a chef. I know how to cook, you know? I mean, my mother taught me how to cook. I think I came from a culture where women's supposed to be knowing how to cook. So I know how to cook for the family, but then um, I'm not a chef, even though I mentioned Kiki, the chef. (laughs) Uh chef. I could definitely be a chef, but no. Um, they counted actually, that's an interesting question. Within the four years, um, I have learned, when we first started the business, I'm not a business student. Like, I never one school for business i was actually doing electronic engineer because and then a little bit of a computer science um i really do like math a lot so i wanted to do something with math and not business i had i wasn't even thinking about business you know it just happened but within the four years i i um i understand how important it is to know your numbers when you open the business or when you run the business if you don't know your numbers then you know it's not good. Absolutely. So I have, I have learned so much lessons about a lot of stuff. Like I did Goldman Sachs business, small th- ten thousand business, you know, small businesses, that taught me a lot more about business. And you know, and so I thought since I already like the math, why not I can become an accountant? Because also accountants are very expensive. I do have a CPA. Um, <laughs> I had to fire one of the CPA when COVID hit because he wasn't helping us. It just didn't work out. And I had to fire him and hire a new person. Um, an accountant are a little pricier. So, you know, so that's why I thought I'll enjoy math, the numbers, and I'll just I'll just be an accountant. Yeah, I mean I think that <laughs> it, it speaks
0: volumes about your just tenacity to be working in this this small business realm, but knowing that that's not your, that's not even necessarily like your passion, right? You're just good at it right. because you need to be. So you just do it. That's, that's incredible. I'm all inspired by you for sure. Oh, thank
1: you. Um,
2: Kiki, thank you so much for um, joining today. I'm, I was just uh, texting someone that um, you graduated high school four years ago and you're already running uh, this, this business. So congrats on that. That's, that's an incredible thank achievement. You. I work with high school-aged youth in our Young Diplomats program, so learning all about different cultures and, um, you know, learning, learning about the international community here in Utah. I, I know a few of them will be joining um, the recording of this afterwards in, in podcast form. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned that, that struck a chord to me was um, that you guys were actually looking at restaurant locations in Colorado and Idaho, Um, can you speak to the, um, importance of food to creating a community? Um, and the second part of that is what, what does it mean to share your food with somebody who isn't necessarily a part of your, your own community? So, um, what, what does Bhutan House mean to the, um, Indian Nepalese and Bhutanese community in, um, Utah? And (coughs) and what does it mean to share that, uh, more broadly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think food is probably the one of the biggest things that connect, you know, one another. And uh, for us, Bhutan House is specialized because it's just not just a family-owned, but it's also a family operate. And so when people come in, our main goal is not just have good food, but also have really good customer service. So we want to make sure, you know, all the customers that would walk into our restaurant, we want to make them feel like they're coming to a family and not just going to a restaurant to eat, you know. And a lot of our customers feel that way. They feel like they're part of our family members and we really love hearing them. And it feels really nice when they come in and they're so personal about, you know, like they're just so personal. They like sharing their stuff, hearing our stuff, and it just connects. And I feel like food uh, food connects people, you know, food connects people. So that's why we were wondering if we can go to Idaho and that kind of serve the community with quality food, share our culture, our values, where we came from and all that kind of stuff, because uh, I feel like USA, it's all diverse, but we want to make it more diverse and let people know, you know, about our culture through food and food has to do a lot with connecting people and sharing values and respect. I don't know if I answered your questions right.
2: Yeah. Thank you <laughs> so much, Kiki. Hey, I'm Gary Crofts. And um, yeah, just when you're talking about the customer service at your restaurant, Bhutan House has excellent customer service. So oh, thank you. I love your You buffet. do look
1: very familiar.
2: Um, but uh, just wondered if you could kind of give us some background on the Refugee situation in Bhutan and Nepal. Um, what were the kind of causes behind that? You mentioned that there was some religious tension, um, that the group of Bhutanese were driven out of Bhutan into Nepal, and kind of uh, maybe give us some background on on what are the underlying causes of that.
1: Okay, thanks, Gary. You look very familiar, so you have definitely been to the restaurant, and I think I know you, are right? Anyways, um. You know, I'm gonna answer that question, but then since I I didn't grow up in Bhutan, I don't know the whole hundred percent story out of it. My parent, my dad would know definitely, but he's not here right now <laughs> to answer for me the question. But um, I think uh, the Bhutanese people, their 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 called their religious is probably Hindu, uh, Buddhist. So their majority people are Buddhist, but back then they're also Hindu people living in Bhutan. So I think because of the Hindu versus Buddhist, there was a, you know, religious war. And I'm just, I'm not gonna make it really long because I might be wrong and I don't want to say anything wrong, you know. (laughs) Um, But I think because of the Hindu versus uh, Buddhist, you know, they they had a religious war and then that's why they started, you know, killing people. They started kicking out people who speak Nepalese. Uh, My father said that um, you were, So when you go to school offices or whatever you go to, you were supposed to wear the national dress from Bhutan, which is completely different than the police. If you don't do it, then they they will start torturing you, you know, beat you up or do something else. And then then eventually the things got really worse. So they start actually going over to your house, and then and then you know like um, kidnapping. I mean, beating up women and doing all this crazy stuff. Uh, killing people, kicking out, and I, my father one time said that, well, let's just say you have like five members in the family, but one of your members, you know, one of your son or daughter is missing in their house, they'll come and they'll start like investigating, like where, where is your son, like we need it right now, and then they will start torturing your family because of someone else's problem, you know, a lot of stuff happening, so, <clears throat> um, and a lot of people. Started running because they had to save their life, and I think that's where all the people ended up, you know, being a refugee in in Nepal. And over the, when I was in Nepal, they had done a lot of protest to have Bhutanese government to take them back. Never really happened. They would not pass through India. Um, we had an India, you know, Indian border. They would just go, and then the Indian border wouldn't let them go through. So they did many protests, but nothing worked. And then eventually, I think people started kind of taking the opportunity to, to go to different countries like USA, Canada, and I don't know, I think there are seven or 14 different countries that we had an opportunity to go. Um, and then, yeah, people started coming in because they kind of gave up. And now I think I heard there are uh, uh, thousands of people still living in a camp, but they do not have the same benefits that. They had it twenty years ago, and now I I think the government stopped taking the applications for refugees, especially USA. You know, here um, they kind of regret not not making the moves earlier, and so. But yeah, I I think that's what's happening in Nepal now. And in a, in a camp, it's it's worse than, you know, it, it's not good right now. I think because of they're not gonna have a job. Um, you know, and the government stopped taking care of them with the food and shelters or whatever that we had 20 years ago. And uh... thank you, yeah. I, I hope I answered that question. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Thank
2: you.
1: Thank you. Do we have any other questions? Yeah, go ahead, Dion. Hi, Kiki, my name is Dion Hi. Saxby. Um, I really appreciate you taking out the time of your day to talk to us. No, Absolutely. thank you. <laughs> thank you for all coming in here. So my question is, what do you think your next step is with the restaurant? Do you see yourself opening new locations? And if so, where? Wow. yes. Uh, I mean, so my next step would be kind of getting through this pandemic. And, and hoping that we can still survive, you know survive the restaurant. But if not, then yeah, I will I will probably think about something else that that's a business. Now I'm really into business now that I have learned so much, you know that has to do with business, opening business and things like that. and the the best part opening a restaurant is how much networking I have now because I think networking is it's really big. And I am so grateful and happy that I know all these great people out there who, who is willing to help me if I need to. So, but right now I think I kind of want to promote or do more of the caterings because dining is definitely slow because of the COVID. Uh, even if it's, if it was used to be a, I mean, even if it's busier now because of the six feet with the social distance, we can't really feed all the people that would come in. And so, but we're doing two goals, um, but we are doing more caterings, so we will. I will have to kind of expand the catering business uh, to kind of, you know, keep the business alive. Um, but if not, then, yeah, I haven't really thought about exactly what would my next step would be besides kind of keeping the business alive as of right now.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a hard time for a lot of businesses. And, and the fact that you guys have this base of loyal customers, such as Vincent and Gary, clearly, um, they, it, it speaks so much about your guys' success and having that community atmosphere that you guys talked about um, and making everyone feel welcome. I'm definitely going to have to, to order some takeout after this conversation. Yes. I, I feel like Please. I have to have it now. Mm-hmm. What would be the one, the one food that I have to have if I come and order
1: takeout? That's a, that's a really hard question because, um, but I feel like any Indian restaurants you go to, like anything with tiki sauce, anything with coconut, coconut sauce, or like the creamy based curry, that's one of the most popular curries, you know, in Indian restaurants. And that's also popular in our restaurant. But over the past, probably, I would say probably like two years or so, our chili momos have become really popular. Um, chili momos at the dumplings i think gary probably knows. i see he's shaking the head (laughs) um yeah people ask i think we kind of specialized on the chili momos uh we carry like with the vegetable and chicken uh, we carry just the steamed dumplings but we also have a chili momo chili momo is the one that's really popular it is the dumplings you should definitely try it will look a little spicy but it's not going to be spicy unless you want it to be Awesome. That sounds great. I mean,
0: this whole conversation has really made me think a lot about um, this, this show called Taste the Nation. And it is by Padma Lakshmi. Um, And her argument in the whole show is that the US food is all it's all thanks to immigrants, right? Like, American food, that doesn't, there's no food that really originated in America, hot dogs, hamburgers, like those aren't even American, right? And so I just talking to you has been such a a great experience to remind me that it's businesses like yours, and it's food like yours and experiences like yours that really benefit our communities on a large scale across the nation. And you're definitely at your whole family is adding so much to the experience of Utahns and their food, but um, also just their cultural awareness. So Thank you so much for being here.
2: One of the things that you mentioned is, is you guys were born out of the Spice Kitchen incubator and you touched on it um, pretty, you touched on it briefly. And I know that you were in charge of the business at, at that point, that um, it was mostly your, your father. Um, but can you talk about the the Spice Kitchen programs and, and how that helped launch the business? Can you like... In, in specifics and, and what you th- like about the Spice Kitchen Incubator?
1: Oh, yeah, they are, uh, without them, we probably wouldn't have a restaurant, honestly, I think, right? But they are amazing. So they have immigrants and refugees on, on the food business. So if you are interested in, your, in a food business, whether it's the catering or opening a business or, you know, taking a booth or whatever it is has to do with food, um, they will help you. They will guide you through and then they'll help you with, you know i well everything else is so they'll give you a classes and then and things like that so they'll they have their own kitchen you can rent it um and then god i had a lot of stuff to say about spice kitchen now i'm stuck um but yeah they are amazing like they the people that work the staff there are great so uh we are one of their entrepreneurs like we are one of their graduated business um and then i think technically they they stop helping you if you graduated because you're like you're on your own. But they're still helping us. So anything and everything I need help with, I go to Spice Kitchen, and they're always up and helping, always up there helping. So they have a different lot of different cuisines. They they do it. I think they also do um, grab and go meal at the Spice Kitchen locations. I think so. You can just go and then just you know buy a food off, buy a food there that's ready to eat that's hot, ready to eat. And, um, you know, you can probably find them at spicekitchencubator.com or something like that. Um, they will have a different cuisines probably every day or every Tuesday, Thursday. I, I had to do a little bit of research on that. I'm not exactly sure what day, but I know they're great. Like if you're interested in food business, I would really recommend going to a spice kitchen and, and, and then kind of start off there. They are the best people, best nonprofit organizer I ever worked with.
0: Well, thank you so much, Kiki, for speaking with all of us today. We truly appreciated it. And thank you for all of you who joined us today um, as well for our recording. If you're interested in supporting Kiki's Restaurant, you can visit BhutanHouseRestaurant.com. That's BoutonHouseRestaurant.com and you can try out some of the incredible food that she spoke about today um, and you can help a local business. So yes. this is our final episode of our season one of Utah's Fireside Chat. So thank you for joining us for our season finale. Um, we are already planning an amazing season two in the spring of 2021. So thank you to everyone who has ever tuned in or joined us for our live recordings. Your support means a lot to
1: us. Yeah, thank you guys. Well just a a quick thing that if you go to online and order you have a 10% off a lot of people don't see that so yeah perfect (laughs) sounds great
0: (laughs) thank you so much we really appreciate your time Fireside Chats are brought to you by the Utah Council for Citizen Diplomacy. Special thanks to Kiki Sharma, our guest speaker, Westminster College as our continuous partner, our Executive Director, Felicia Maxfield-Barrett, and I'm Emma Russell. I'll see you on the next season of Fireside Chats.